0: Good morning everybody. Glad you're here. You can have a seat. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn. We are in our series uh, called uh, In the Lord's Sight. We've been going through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles. Those books mirror each other historically. There's a lot of repeats in the two books between what is happening uh, in Israel or in the kingdom of Israel and then a northern and a southern kingdom, which we'll look at uh, more this morning. Uh, and we'll continue. We're going to be in chapters, in 1 Kings chapters 12 and 13, and in 1 Chronicles chapters 11 and 12. And so you can kind of put a marker there and kind of flip back and forth if you want to. All the scriptures will be on the screen, uh, and you can always go on the live page and find those as well, and click on the scripture links. Um, This morning I want to talk about something that I think is really important, because what we've seen is that Remember, God never wanted his people to have a king. He told them that. He told them they would want a king back in Deuteronomy way, way, way before they got one. And he said, you're going to want a king, and if you have a king, you better hold him to this. Well, they haven't held him to this. The kings didn't hold themselves to what God wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So it just becomes a mess. You have King Saul, that, that was the first king of Israel because Israel wanted a king. He was a horrible king, wicked king. God raised up David and said, through David, I'm going to bring a son of David, that's Jesus, and he brings that through the line of David. David was a good king. David's son Solomon comes along, and Solomon's kind of a mixed bag. He writes some good scripture. He writes Proverbs. He writes uh, Ecclesiastes. Um, You know, he writes Song of Solomon. Each one is kind of passion, wisdom, and then the misery of life. And Solomon's life is kind of a mess, and he leaves the kingdom a mess, and now where we find ourselves in the story is the kingdom being split, that Solomon has allowed, he married 700 women, he had 300 concubines on top of that, God said, if you do this, they're going to corrupt you, they did, so Solomon began to worship other gods because he followed the mantra that we follow today, which is, ain't mama happy, ain't nobody happy, So he had to keep all his mamas happy, right? All 700 of his wives. Didn't stand up to him. He built idols for them. He married them from foreign women who didn't know God, that were idolatrous. He brought them into the nation, and the nation is a complete disaster. Now Solomon has passed away. God is handing over the kingdom to Solomon's son, Rehoboam. One of Solomon's sons tries to take the kingdom. We looked at that. He's killed. Rehoboam comes to power And God tells Solomon that the kingdom is going to be ripped from your son because of your wickedness. Because you wouldn't stand for what is right, now your children are going to suffer. See, this is what always happens when we get in kingdom building. This morning, we're going to talk about the kingdom. We're going to talk about what kingdom are you building? Because we're all building a kingdom every day. Every day, we're trying to choose what you're building with your time, your money, Matter of fact, if I sat down with you and probably looked at your finances, it would be easy to see what kind of kingdom you thought you were building or you wanted to build over your lifetime. Wouldn't be hard. You would see all the expenditures over what you thought was necessary for you to buy and have so that you could get to where you want to be. Or what you thought was necessary to have so that you could be the person you want to be or feel a certain way, which is also a kingdom. You're building a kingdom of pleasure or peace. Like, we're all building a kingdom. The question is, which one? Are you building a kingdom that's God's, or are you building a kingdom for yourself? And what we find when we dive into the story, we looked at it last week briefly, we're going to dive in deeper, because what this does, last week and this week, is set the foundation for the rest of the book, until the people of God are taken away into captivity, into slavery, and destroyed, and God keeps a remnant. And this is the foundation that's laid. And so now you have Rehoboam, God comes to Rehoboam, the people come to Rehoboam and said, hey, your father Solomon was a taskmaster, he was building his own kingdom, not God's, and he put so much burden on the people, he did so many wicked things, they're like, could you please ease up? Rehoboam said, no way, I'm going to double down and make it harder, I'll show you who's king, right? I'll show you who's boss, no mercy. No mercy. As a result of that, there's a guy named Rehoboam, who was one of Solomon's chief servants, who helped Solomon build all the kingdom stuff, the temple, the walls, his house. Jeroboam was one of the leader, like lead builders of the culture, like kind of in comparison to another guy we elected to be our president who built a lot of buildings and a lot of temples and places. And God comes to Jeroboam and he says, hey, if you'll do the right thing, if you'll let my people still go to Jerusalem so they can follow the Old Testament law of going and worshiping in Jerusalem and celebrating the holidays, he's like, I will bless you. I will bless your children. I will make sure that you're protected. I will make sure there's a legacy for you. But if you don't, it's going to be miserable. There'll be a curse that comes on you and your children and your grandchildren and so on and so forth. And Jeroboam, we'll see this morning, decides he wants nothing to do with God's kingdom. He's going to build his own. He decides that, you know what, I don't like this idea of building with Rehoboam. I'm going to build my own thing. And so here's what you have. Here's where we're going into. You have the southern kingdom, which is one tribe, Judah. And Benjamin, Benjamin's connected to Judah, that's a long story, basically, Benjamin was almost completely annihilated in the book of Judges, there's just a remnant of Benjamites left, um, and so it's kind of Judah and Benjamin, you have King Rehoboam, which is Solomon's son, Rehoboam reigns 18 years, then his son Abijah takes the throne for two years. The prophet that speaks to Rehoboam at the time, that's mentioned in the Bible, is Shemaiah. And the place of worship is Jerusalem, the temple, and the ark. The northern kingdom, which is ten tribes, the other ten tribes out of the twelve sons of Jacob, is King Jeroboam the first. There's a Jeroboam the second. King Jeroboam the first, he reigns for 21 years, so we're talking about a 21-year period here. Above, 20 years. It's a 20-year kind of snapshot. The prophet that is mentioned that we're going to look at is Ahajah and the place of worship that... Jeroboam builds that he's not supposed to build is Bethel and Dan. He builds a temple and then he builds two golden calves to the Lord. So let's dive into the story. In 1 Kings 12, 26, Jeroboam said to himself, the way things are now, going now, the kingdom might return to the house of David if these people in Jerusalem, or if these people regularly go to offer sacrifices in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, the heart of these people will return to, return to what? See, that's the question. See, Jeroboam recognizes that I'm trying to, we've broken away from Rehoboam because of his wickedness and his evil. And God says, look, I recognize I'm a, I'm, I did that. I, I broke you away. There, there's a break. But I'm asking you in that break to behave a certain way. See, this is what we don't like. All of us love to overthrow authority, but we don't want to then come under God's authority when we overthrow it. We want to become our own authority. And God knows this, so he warns Jeroboam, don't do that or it's going to be worse for you than it is for the southern kingdom. By the way, the northern kingdom of Israel never once has a revival and never once has a good king in the entire history Of the northern kingdom because of this. Not once. The southern kingdom has a few revivals, they have a few good kings. The northern kingdom, not a single one. Because no one would go back and repent. See, normally when we break away from authority, if we're truly honest, we have dual motives, right? Whether that's a failed marriage, whether that's a failed job, whether whatever it is, there's dual motives in all of us. There's the motive of they were wrong, there were evil things that were done. Of course there were. Every relationship has evil things. Because you're an idiot and I'm an idiot. If we're in relationship, we got evil stuff. I mean, that's just the way it is. However... When we break away, God has a way of telling us, there's a certain way I want you to behave so that the world and others see what it looks like to not break away and build your own thing, but break away and come under my thing. And so often, people won't do that. And the world around you, like Jeroboam's day, we'll see in a minute, you start to think, but if I do that, then I'm gonna look like the fool. I'm gonna look like I didn't win. I'm gonna look like it was my fault because I broke away. And they're not getting their just due. God's like, that's not up to you. Leave that to me. You do what I've commanded you to do. You you walk with me as I don't manipulate the circumstances for your own benefit. What kingdom are you building, Jeroboam? Do you want the people to build my kingdom and go back to Jerusalem, my place of worship, and obey the Old Testament and travel there three times a year and do everything? And maybe some of them might go back and restore broken relationships. Wow, how awesome is that, Jeroboam? And Jeroboam's like, no, that's exactly what I don't want to have happen. Because then I'll lose my power. I'll look like the idiot who broke away. And so I got to do something about these people going back see, we got to be very careful how we handle this kind of stuff. We can think, I'm building God's kingdom. God told me, he told Jeroboam, you can go do this. See, we were very careful when we planted our church to be about this. When we planted our church, when we came to Bloomington, I went around to all the other pastors and I told them, we are not going to steal sheep. Period. If someone's leaving a church to come to our church, it doesn't mean they shouldn't. It just means there needs to be a conversation why. There needs to be a conversation, what's going on in your heart, in the church. If I care about the body of Christ in Bloomington, that's a conversation I'm going to have. Because in any other capacity, if I'm just stealing animals that are wandering into a flock, are we allowed that? That's called theft. But in the church, it's like God's blessing us. And every time I see this happen, you are setting the church up for a church split. It's every time. I watch it happen again and again. People will flock from other churches to to the next big church in Bloomington. This has happened five or six times that I've been here. And then that church will have a split and a major catastrophe three to five years later. Because there's no accountability. What does God's word say? It doesn't mean we don't need to leave relationships sometimes. But when we do it, we have to recognize are impure motives that we have and the pure motives because they're both there all the time. And it's hard to navigate that. And you got to go before God humbly and trust him, not do what Jeroboam's getting ready to do, which is manipulate a situation for your benefit to build what you want so that people will like you. Because look what it says. He says, the people will return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will murder me and go back to the king of Judah, so Jeroboam did the right thing he sought advice. This is what every person I've ever seen who leaves a relationship does. They seek advice. I've never seen anyone leave a relationship without seeking the advice of people. They always do. They seek advice. A lawyer, pastors, friends, coworkers, they seek advice. It's what we do. We go around and we talk. Here's the thing. We go around and seek advice, and normally the advice we follow is not the ones that are taking us to the Word of God. We dismiss those people, and we listen to all the people who tell us what we want to hear, who tickle our ears, as the New Testament says. And that's exactly what Jeroboam does. He says, look, they're going to murder me. God said he would protect Jeroboam and establish his kingdom if he obeyed him. And Jeroboam's already doubting God. He's saying, well, I can't trust God with that. i got to take matters into my own hands. I've got to fix this. i got to do this. And so he goes and he seeks advice. He goes on the Internet of his day, right? Googles the questions to his advisors. And this is the great plan that Jeroboam comes up with. That literally curses the entire northern kingdom and, they're all, and, and when the Assyrians come to kill them, they're almost completely wiped out. Like, I mean, almost completely as a people wiped out. So in his wisdom, when he sought the advice, here's what he came up with. Then he made two golden calves, and he said to the people going to Jerusalem, ah, Rehoboam and that Jerusalem stuff, it's really difficult. That's a hard, it's hard to get up every Sunday. It's hard. I know it's difficult. So... Israel, here is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He set one of the calves up in Bethel. He put the other in Dan. If you remember, this goes back to the Old Testament, right? When the people come out of the promised land, they're led out of Egypt. They're standing on the mount, right? Sinai. Moses is on the mountain meeting with God, and the people are like, Moses has been gone too long. We can't be patient enough to God to build his kingdom, his, do his thing. We, we don't know what to do, so we got to take matters into our own hand. They go to Aaron, and they say, Aaron, would you, would you build us a golden calf? Aaron gladly collects all their gold, right? And that's always a sign, right, that God's with us. When everybody gives us the gold, it's like, oh, look, God's with us. He's blessed us because we got all the gold. God must be with us, otherwise he wouldn't provide if God wasn't with us. He melts the gold, makes a calf, then later lies and says, I just threw the gold in the fire and out popped a calf. Aaron literally said that. Like, no, you didn't. You fashioned it. But that's what we do. Oh, well, kinda, I just threw the gold and it came out as a calf. That's a lie. And what happens? He parades the calf. They're having a party. They're calling the calf Yahweh. They are. They're, they're saying this is Yahweh our God. They're not making a different God. They're saying, no, this is the representation of Yahweh God. In the meantime, Moses is getting the Ten Commandments that says, don't make any graven images of me, period. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to see it. Moses comes off the mountain Drops the Ten Commandments, bad decision. Anyway, drops the Ten Commandments, they shatter, they pull out the swords, the Levites rise up, the Levites become the priests of the nation because of their action to take against their brothers and sisters to say, you cannot do this. They destroy the calf, they melt it down, and Moses makes them all drink the gold that's melted down and dust. They have to drink it. Like it is that, bad. Moses is like, look, This is wicked. You cannot do this. It was awful. So here's what happens. Are you ready for this? This is what everybody does when we want to build our own kingdom. We try to go back to a place in history. We try to go back to a place in scripture where we're smart enough to fix it and get it all right from that point. And that's exactly what Jeroboam does. He says, oh, I know where we went wrong. We listened to Moses. And Moses led to the tabernacle and the ark. We need to go back before Moses, then we can get it right. And really, they were right to make that golden calf. Matter of fact, we should make two. You don't think you're capable of that? You are. I am too. It is so easy to want to go back to a place to say we're going to do it right and better and you're going to make the same dumb mistakes. If there's anything that scripture shows us is that we are just as big of morons as everybody else. It's the same patterns over and over again and we desperately need God to show up and save us, give us his grace and give us his truth because we don't have a clue what we're doing. I mean, if we can't see that in our culture today, I don't know what else needs to happen for us to get it. And so Jeroboam does this, and he sells it to him. This is going to make it easier. You know, we have a joke all the time, and you've heard this before if you've been here. We always tell people, like when we're having problems on a Sunday morning, and we're having problems in church with the building and logistics, we always tell people, we have a $1.5 billion solution to this problem. Just need to build a building. If we get the building and the land, then we don't have to set up and tear down. We don't have to sweep. We don't have to deal with the mess. It'll fix the problem. All of you who are homeowners, remember what it was like when you rented. Remember that? Remember how great it was when you rented? You just called them up and like, it's broken. Come fix it. Goodbye. Right? Now it's broken. You're like, everybody's looking at you going, it's broken. You fix it. And you're like, I'm not... I, I just, I rent here. I just, I just give the money and rent. You guys fix it, right? Like we think that we're going to fix our problems and and the problems of our world can't be fixed until there is a new kingdom, a kingdom that's going to come one day that Jesus talked about. Look at this. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said in John, my kingdom is not of this world said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would be, wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. See, this kingdom doesn't originate with Moses. It doesn't originate with a golden calf. The kingdom I came originates with me because I am God. I am Yahweh who saves. That's what Jesus means. It's the name Joshua. And he says, look, I'm Yeshua. I'm the one who will save you. And he said, everybody's looking, and everybody was looking for Jesus to build their kingdom. It is no different today. Most believers are looking for Jesus to build their family, build their kids, build their finances, build to build to build to build. Not once have they said, well, maybe God wants to use me to build what he wants and surrender all of that to him. And if he gives it back to me, great. And if he doesn't, okay. Okay. See, we don't even even think that. And that's exactly what he says. He's like, my servants would fight. And let me tell you, most Christians, you and I included, we get caught up in kingdom fights that don't matter. Because in the heart of hearts, if we're really honest, most of the time there's that false motive of I got to fight for me. I got to fight for my right. I got to fight for what I know to be true. I, 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 I. And then we just slap God on it. And we go find the scriptures we need to slap God on it. In the meantime, you look at the life and you go, Jeroboam, it's really simple. God was going to bless you. You can establish your own kingdoms, your own boundaries, and everything else. The only thing you have to do is allow the people to go to Jerusalem to worship and to hold to the word of God. That's it. It's just a break of land. Like, it's just saying, look, we're going to go to Jeroboam to ask him. He's going to be the king we have to submit to, not Rehoboam. That's it. That's it. And I want you and Rehoboam both to walk by God's word. And neither of them would. Neither of them would. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, so don't worry. See, what was Jeroboam doing? He was worrying. Oh, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. Oh, they're not going to like me. Oh, they're going to leave. Oh, oh, oh. This is what always happens in churches. People start worrying. Oh, we don't have the numbers. Oh, we don't have the baptisms. Oh, we don't have the salvation. Oh, we don't have a, we got to fix the, ah." we all get worried. And when you start going down that road, it starts to expose what you believe the kingdom's really about. You see, there's a difference between care and worry. There's a big difference between care and worry. Care is focused on eternity and the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. That's care. Worry is God's going to take this away from me. It's not going to work out how I want. I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus says, don't worry, what will we eat? What will we drink or what will we wear? That is like always right there. That is the simplest idolatry we have. If you want to find idolatry in your life, look at how you eat, look at what you drink and how you like the satisfaction you get and refreshing and look at how you think about what you wear and how you look to others. Like Jesus boils it down to like basic idolatry 101. By the way, this is what you would give to the idols. You would offer them drink offerings. You would offer them food offerings, right? You would dress a certain way, either naked sometimes when you go to the temple because you're having prostitute sex in the old ancient religions, or you would dress all up so that you are you know, really look good when you go to the temple. He's like, that, that's the start of idolatry. And then he says, look, For the idolaters eagerly seek those kinds of things. You look, your heavenly father knows you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Underline that and write when next to it because that's the question you and I have. All these things will be provided for you when? Because my clothes are wearing out and the fridge is empty. Well, when I want to. For eternity. See, Jesus says he's going to clothe us one day with clothes that will never wear out. He tells us that we are going to have a feast with him with food that will never wear out. Here, we're not guaranteed those things. But Jesus said, in my kingdom, when it finally comes, on a new heaven and a new earth, everything will be provided. Now, you got to trust me. you got to seek me and seek my kingdom. And then he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then you say, well, yeah, that's why I just do whatever I want. Because I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Worry about eternity, not tomorrow. Because eternity has no tomorrow. Let me say that again. Worry about eternity, not tomorrow, because eternity has no tomorrow. It's forever. Think about the forever things, not the, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe, maybe. No, I've got forever because I know Jesus. Think on that kingdom that's guaranteed, he says. Matthew says this, but you asked, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? This is Jesus speaking. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. The word there for Peter means pebble. (laughs) Pebble. You're just a bitty-bitty pebble. You're you're just a tiny little stone. And on this rock, he's not talking about Peter. He's talking about the rock of the gospel. On this rock, i.e. Jesus, me, the rock, I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. You see, there's not two kingdoms. There's not Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. There's only God's kingdom. There's only God's. Everything else is just under it for, for right now. Like God allows it to exist, but there is no dual kingdom around here. There's one kingdom. And God says, look, I'm going to build my church. Let me ask you something. If you say, man, I really want to be about building God's kingdom, how are you building his church? Because Jesus said, I'm going to build On the rock of my name, a people. The word church means ecclesia. It's a gathering of people completely focused on the person of God, his authority in their life, and making that known in the world, across the world, and living where they are. That is exactly what Jesus is telling them. He's like, you and me, we're just little pebbles. But on the rock of Jesus, he will build his kingdom. See, Jeroboam was just a little pebble. Rehoboam was just a little pebble. It looked like they had this great kingdom that Solomon built, and great privilege, and they forgot they were just little pebbles. They're nothing without God. And when you forget that, you'll abandon God just like Rehoboam and Jeroboam. You'll do it. You'll abandon him to chase the things that you think you're owed, to build the things that you think you should build We go on in 1 Kings, it says this, because Jeroboam did this, this led to sin. Of course it did. (laughs) They're no longer going to worship the right way. They're going to worship golden calves in temples God said never to build in places God said never to go. Like, of course this led to sin. The people are gonna forget God. He's saying, well, I don't want him to, I don't want him to, you know, go back to Rehoboam. Well, it's not about going back to Rehoboam. God said his name would dwell in Jerusalem. By the way, God never told them to build a temple. They did it. God wasn't concerned about the temple. He said Jerusalem is the place. Then he goes on and he says, The people walked in procession before one of the calves all the way to Dan. Jeroboam also built shrines on the high place and set up priests from every class of people who were not Levites. So he made people priests who were not priests. I said this last week. We do this today. There are people who are pastors and leaders of churches that don't even know Jesus. I had to serve under one once. Literally, the person told me they did not believe that Jesus was the only way to salvation. In a church. I'm like, what are we doing? Why why is this person employed in the church? Well, you know, you just got to love them. You got to be patient. They don't believe in the same kingdom. They're literally here building a different kingdom goes on and it says, Jeroboam made a festival in the eighth month, on the 15th day of the month, like the festival in Judah. That's the fast festival of tabernacles. He created a different tabernacles festival. He said, I'm going to create my own tabernacles because tabernacles, they would travel to Jerusalem and spend a lot of time there. So I could create my own tabernacles. He offered sacrifices on the altar. He made his offering in Bethel to sacrifice to the calves he had set up. He also stationed the priests in Bethel for high places he had set up. He made a festival for the Israelites, offered sacrifices on the altar, and he burnt incense. And you know what? It was all going pretty well. The people are celebrating. They're marching. It looks great. It looks like things, Wow. This is working. Glad we got rid of Rehoboam. It's easier. We don't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem anymore. Like, this is so convenient. We really like Jeroboam. He's made it so easy for us. Can I just tell you that that's kind of what we've done in the modern church? You know, it's amazing to me that one of the people that has come to the most prominence recently isn't even necessarily a believer, doesn't call himself a believer. It's Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is is kind of a pop psychologist who's been writing about the need for people to do hard things, to take responsibility for their life, and he's like taking the world by storm, and especially young men are flocking to him. You want to know why they're not flocking to the church? Because the church isn't telling them what the Bible says, which is, yeah, surrender your life to Jesus. He wants to do hard things in your life through you and make an impact that's going to be amazing. Because we keep selling people an easy gospel, an easy church. We don't get up in your business. You, You just do you. We all come together, we sing and we worship. Oh, it's great. Have a nice week. Goodbye. There's no accountability, there's no talking about finances, there's no like digging in and, and there's no coming back at the church to talk about finances. Like, like you're not allowed to confront the leaders, oh no, like we, we, we're so righteous. Give me a break. There's mutual love and care that we should have. Jeroboam's made a mess. Now, you think, okay, so it's a mess in the northern kingdom. How's the southern kingdom going? Glad you asked. 2 Chronicles 11, 13, the priests and the Levites from all their regions throughout Israel took their stand with Rehoboam. So they're stationed in all these cities all over Israel in the Northern Empire. For the Levites left their pasture lands, their possessions, and went to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons refused to let them serve as priests of Yahweh. The Levites are like, we can't participate in this. He has now set up golden calves. He doesn't even allow us to bring out the word of God and to do the responsibility we've been given to do. We have got, we got to leave. And when they left, it meant they left everything. The only thing they had, the Levite tradition, the only thing they owned were the pasture lands and the cities. That's it. It meant they left everything to go to Jerusalem and Judea It wasn't like, oh, it'll be better there. It's like, no, we're leaving everything, and it's going to be really hard. Those from every tribe of Israel, verse 16, had determined in their hearts. Look at this. Determined in their hearts to seek Yahweh, their God, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to sacrifice to Yahweh, the God of their ancestors. So you got people traveling to go to Dan and go to Bethel, Cheering the golden calf, and at the same time, there's people passing them, traveling to get out of Dodge and go to Jerusalem. There are people saying, we cannot follow this. We will not be a part of this. This breaks our heart. We don't want to leave everything. It meant they left the land they were promised. These people were leaving, literally, land that had been in their families for generations promised to them by the Old Testament, and they said, you know what? I am not going to be in that kingdom. I'm going to go here, and I'm going to have nothing. I would rather live with nothing in Judah and trust God to restore everything than to try to keep everything I've got and be in a disaster. This was huge for them to do this. It goes on and it says, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon. It only lasted three years. They were all excited for three years. You know what the hardest years of a church plant are? Years four and five. You read any church planting literature, anywhere, they will tell you years four and five are the hardest years for a church plant. You want to know why? The excitement's worn off. You're not the new show, big fun. Now it's real. You got real people with real problems. You're digging in. It's hard. Finances get tight. You don't have a building. What are we going to do? There's all these things that start coming, and your four and five for any church plant is like, who are we going to be? What kingdom are we going to build? What's it going to look like? And if you don't have it figured out by then, it'll tank. It's a mess. And that's exactly what you see here. They did well for three years, and they're like, you know what? Forget it. This is just, it seems like it's going really well in the northern kingdom. We left all that, and we thought God was like, going to bring down fire and kill him because he prophesied he would destroy Jeroboam and his family. But it's like, Jeroboam's still there after 21 years. I, get... I guess it didn't work out too well. We thought we were doing the right thing, but oh well, let's do whatever. 2 Chronicles goes on and says, Verse 23, Rehoboam also showed discernment by dispersing some of his sons to all the regions of Judah and Benjamin and to all the fortified cities. He gave them plenty of provisions and sought many wives for them. Remember, when, when the Bible describes something, it's not a prescription, it's a description. God is describing what Rehoboam did. He's describing something that is wise, earthly to do, is to diversify, right? That doesn't mean it was right. It doesn't mean he's doing the right thing. God's just describing he did it. He showed discernment. Instead of trying to keep all his kids and protecting them, he sent them out. Now, when he sent them out, he didn't send them out with, like, God's kingdom. He sent them out, and they built Rehoboam's kingdom and their own kingdoms. And it was selfishness. But it was still like, yeah, that's what you have to do if you're going to build something. you got to send them out. You can't keep it all. You can't be about you. It's got to be about going, sending, getting, like, that's what it's got to be about. So he's like, yeah, that's good discernment. However, he gave him many wives. How many wives were kings supposed to have? This is not a trick question. How many wives were kings supposed to have? One. One. And all the kings got many wives. Not a good idea. Never a good idea to complicate your life with many wives. Never works out well. Or husbands, doesn't work out well. It's very complicated. Then in verse 12, look what happens. So he shows discernment, does all this, and you're thinking, oh, wow, wow, he's doing well. When Rehoboam 12.1 had established his sovereignty and royal power, he sent his sons everywhere, got them wives, made treaties with the wives, they probably married foreign women, he abandoned the law of the Lord. He and Israel with him because they were unfaithful to the Lord in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, went to war against Jerusalem. There it is. I can't tell you the number of times that I have watched churches. Church plants, a new pastor comes in, and when it gets to year four and five, they've got to make decisions, and instead of living by the word of God and doing the hard things and sticking to it, it's the subtle compromises that start being made. You know, we've told people, it's kind of a joke, but Not really. We've told people that if we ever did a building campaign in our church, it would be called Join Us in Slavery if we had to borrow money. Because the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. So, biblically, if I'm borrowing from Old National Bank, who's my master? Old National Bank, according to the Bible. They are my master because I've borrowed money from them. And biblically, it says the borrower, FX Church, me, is slave to the lender. And by the way, God doesn't lend. God gives grace. God is not a lender. God doesn't lend things. He gives freely. And then he punishes when it's not used well. Does that mean we can never go in debt? No. It just means when you go in debt, be honest about it. I'm choosing slavery. Anybody want to join me? Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to live in it for a while. It's going to teach us a lot. But we won't do that because we got to spin it and sell it like Jeroboam. This is going to be easier. It's going to be better. It's going to be great. It's going to be, we're going to fix our problems. No, it's not. It's just going to give you new problems. Let's just be honest. I'm not against. And this is what's not happening in the northern or southern kingdom. And then it says, because they were unfaithful to the Lord in the fifth year, Shishak, king of Egypt, went to war against Jerusalem. God will always do this. God will always raise up adversaries to humble you. He will. It's always been his plan throughout history. He will always give you people that will like fight against you so that you have to trust him. It's the design. It's the plan. 2 Chronicles goes on. It says, finally, then Shemiah, The prophet went to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak. So now Shishak's raising up and Shemaiah goes to Jerusalem. God has sent, listen, whenever God raises up problems in your life, it's amazing how at the same time, God will send you people that will speak God's word into your life, that will take you to the scriptures. You'll hear a sermon. You'll hear something that pulls you back to him every time. God is so merciful to do this to you and me. He's been doing it forever that way where he sends just that timely person, and we've got to decide who we're going to listen to. Look at what happens. Shemaiah said to them, this is what the Lord says, you've abandoned me. We've abandoned you. No, no, no. Jeremiah abandoned you. He built two calves. They, like, changed all the worship. We're still doing the worship thing here in Jerusalem. I know we have all our idols all over the place, and we still have the high places to all the other gods, and, and you know, we have cult prostitutes and male prostitutes in the city of Jerusalem. I, I know all that, Just, but still, we're, we got Jerusalem. We're, we're doing well. We're not, we're not as bad as they are, and, no, you've abandoned me. Therefore, I've abandoned you. Look at what he says. Into the hands of Shishak. He doesn't say, I've abandoned you forever. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. You're done. I hate you. No, he says, no, no, I'm just going ban- to give you over to what- to Shishak. I'm going gonna- I'm gonna to let him come in and teach you a lesson. I'm just going to be like, okay, you-, you want that? Here you go. My hand's my are hands protection. Look, I've said this over and over again. God doesn't have to do anything. God doesn't have to, like, try to hurt you and me. All God has to do because of the mess and sin and corruption and brokenness of our world, all he has to do for you and me is do this. And we're left with a disaster and no protection. That's all God has to do is take his hands off. He doesn't have to send lightning bolts. They already happen every day. He just has to lift the protection from them. We think God's like trying to get us. The fact that you're still alive is by the mercy and grace of God. How many times could you have died in the last three to five years? I mean, think about it. I mean, just in the last three to five, that's not even your lifetime. Car accident, you know, oh, wow, if I would have pulled out there. Oh, you know, I mean, he goes on and says, Judah did what was evil in the Lord's eyes. So it wasn't just Rehoboam. Judah followed the leaders. They provoked him to jealous anger more than all their ancestors had done with the sins they had committed. God says, you guys in the southern kingdom think you're better because you you have the right way to worship. You figured out the right theology and the right way to worship God. Even though you still have all your idolatry and you won't confront anybody about it. I mean, you're the new Calvinist. You got it figured out. But you won't confront people on the other stuff. Finances, time, simple things. The worship of family versus Giving yourself to the church. Oh no, those are off limits. Because we got the right theology. we got the right worship. we got it figured out. I'm not against New Calvinists. I'm just saying, we can go there and become those Pharisees. And that's exactly, he says, you've committed more sins now than all of my people before. That's a big statement. He goes on, he says, they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. Asherah was the goddess of fertility, typically naked. There were even male cult prostitutes in the land. You think the problems we have today are new and unique? You can't drive anywhere without seeing somebody naked on a billboard somewhere. I mean you can't. You Male cult prostitutes. Yeah, we pretty much have men who prostitute themselves to whatever and men who are sleeping with men and whatever. Yeah, it's what we do. And you think this is new? Like, oh, nope, not new. This is what happens when people choose to abandon God. And specifically, this is what happens when God's people choose to abandon God. Then it goes on and he said, they imitated all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. In other words, They did what worked. They looked around. They looked at the other nations and goes, well, that works. Let's try that. Oh, Well, that works. Let's do that. Well, that works. Let's do that. They didn't read God's word. (laughs) They didn't say, well, what does God say he wants me to do, whether it works or not? I just want to do what God says. Because I just believe in the end that's what's going to actually work and build the kingdom. So I'm going to do that. Nope. We're just gonna look around and see what everybody else is doing and then we're just gonna add that to how we do our kingdom. You know how many churches do that? They don't even question what they do, they just add. Second Chronicles 12, 6 says, so the leaders of Israel and the king, look at this, humbled themselves. Shemaiah warns them and they actually humble themselves. You ever been there? You know you're doing wrong, someone comes and you, oh, I'm, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, things are getting bad. In other words, God, if you just get me out of this, that's exactly what this is. Shishak's coming. Well, God, if you just get us out of it, we humble ourselves and said, Yahweh's right. oh God, you're right. Well, yeah, you know I'm right now because I was going to like let Shishak kind of wipe you out. Now you're real concerned. Then he says, look, I will not destroy them, but will grant them a little deliverance. Oh, wait, sorry. When the Lord saw that they had humbled themselves, the Lord's message came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but will grant them a little deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. Whew. Man, that was a close one, guys. We got man. We got it right there. Thanks, thanks, God. Appreciate that. Not so fast. Look at the next verse. However... They, my people, will become Shishak's servants so they may recognize the difference between serving me and serving the kingdoms of other lands. I'm not gonna kill you. Oh no, I'm gonna make it worse. I'm gonna make you live through it. I could have just taken you out, and instead, I'm gonna ask you to live through it. Because I'm trying to show people what it looks like to build my kingdom. And you being under another kingdom and how you live and still worship me and give your lives and you don't get corrupted is the perfect picture of my son Jesus and what he is going to do someday. So that's what I'm going to allow you to go through. See, most of us would be like, just kill me. I don't want to go through that, just kill me. I don't want to, no, I'll just be done. He goes on. Mark, Jesus said this, sitting down, he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, He must be last of all and a servant of all. Then he took a child and had to stand among them and taking him in his arms, this child, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Jesus said, it's real simple, this whole kingdom building thing. It's one person at a time. It's one life at a time. It's one child. It's, it's the person that can't take care of themselves. He, he looks and he says, look, if anyone wants to be first, you want to be great, that'll show up in how you do the little things, the least things, Jesus says in his kingdom. Second Chronicles goes on to say, so Shishak, King Shishak of Egypt went to war against Jerusalem. He seized the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasuries of the royal palace. He took everything. All that Solomon built, all the gold, all the slave labor, all the stuff he did, all the treaties he made to get the gold and the timber and all the great stuff, and in an instant, it's all gone. God just takes his hands off and says, you know what, you can come into my temple and have it all, because I didn't ask him to build this, and I don't really care about it. Have it. And see, God will do that to us, and most of the time what we do is we get mad God, how dare you? Why'd you take all this stuff? Because it's really not helping you. (laughs) Second Corinthians, Paul said this about himself. He said, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself like Rehoboam and Jeroboam, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. That's Shishak. Shishak was given to Israel and saying, you're going to be a slave just because you got to be humble. Paul's like, yep, I'm a really prideful guy. I was a Pharisee. I like killed Christians and then became a Christian. And I still have that pride in me. I still know it's there. It still comes out time. To, like I know. And so God has actually given me a tormentor to keep me humble. See, this is actually God's process in our lives throughout all of history. And instead, we got a church running around telling people they can just cast out all the demons and never have to deal with them. Paul couldn't. Look at what he says. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take away a messenger of Satan from me. But he said to me, nah, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness, Paul. I, I don't like that answer. I want to bind the demons and throw them out and get rid of them. And You'll live in it, Paul. Then he goes, look at this. Therefore, because of this, look at what Paul says. I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures because of the Messiah who's going to come to save me from all that garbage. And if I'm saving myself all the time and not putting myself in a situation where I need to be saved, then I don't need a savior. And then Paul says, look at this. For when I am weak, (laughs) then he's strong. And you and I love to be strong. We love it. We love to tell people how we got strong, how we stay strong. We love to buy the stuff that people tell us. So make you strong, keep you strong, 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 strong. We don't want to buy weak. Paul's like, I pleaded three times for God to buy weak for me and take it. God said, no, Paul, I'm leaving this here. It's going to help you. You're going to feel what others feel. You're going to feel that war happening in your soul. And as a result, it's going to change you and humble you. And it's going to make you the person I need you to be. And that's exactly what God was doing with Egypt and Shishak. Second Chronicles 12 says, When Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger turned away from him, and he did not destroy him completely. Besides that, the conditions were good in, in, in Judah. They just lost everything. Like Shishak came in, stole everything, took it away. And it's like, yeah, but the conditions are pretty good. Is that not our country right now, that it's a disaster, it's, it's a mess, like everything looks like it's chaos, and, and yet it's, I still went out to eat this week, I had a gift card and went out to eat, I had a steak, wow, that's pretty good, I wasn't eating potatoes, I wasn't like boiling tree bark, like to try to survive, it's still pretty good. The question is, do we recognize it like Paul did? Do we recognize God's goodness in the midst of the mess? Look at what he says. King Rehoboam established his royal power in Jerusalem. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city of the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name. Rehoboam's mother's name was Nama the Ammonite. So again, Solomon married an Ammonite, which you're not supposed to do. Rehoboam did what was evil. Because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. In other words, he didn't seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He sought his own kingdom and what he thought was right. This is what Jesus said, remember? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Rehoboam and Jeroboam couldn't do it. They had kingdoms to build, they had kingdoms to protect, they had names to preserve. Matthew 20, Jesus said this. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. That's what caused the split. Rehoboam chose to dominate the people instead of being merciful. And the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is just as little of a popular message today as it was the day Jesus spoke it. Everybody expected Jesus to come and do what? Reestablish Jerusalem. Bring back Solomon's reign. Bring back the glory of Israel. Unite the nation. Bring everything together. And Jesus came and he said, I came with a sword. I came to divide. question is, are you divided? Are you building his kingdom? You see, Jesus says, look, if you want the secret to how to follow me, just be a servant. Be a slave. Quit trying to build stuff and say, I'm just... I got a master, and I need to find out what he wants me to build. So that's great. You want me to do that, but I need to check with my master first. What if we did that? What if we had those conversations in our family? We did that with our kids growing up sometimes. We look at our kids and be like, well, that's, sorry, that's not what the Lord's called us to do. You can, we can pray about it. You can pray about it. I mean, one time we put all the missionary letters on the table because our kids are complaining about not having stuff. We put all the missionary letters on the table. We said, okay, pick which one we're not going to support anymore. You You pick so that you can have whatever you want, your shoes or your clothes. You pick the missionary. You're going to write him the letter. You're going to write the missionary letter. I want really nice shoes. Sorry, we can't support you this month. And you send the letter. We're trying to build God's kingdom. We may not be doing it right. We, maybe we are supposed to buy you shoes. I don't know. But we've already given our yes to this missionary. We're not taking that back. goes on and says this, the northern kingdom, back to Jeroboam, so that's Rehoboam. Verse 13, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel by a revelation from the Lord while Jeroboam was standing beside the altar to burn incense. So he saw Shemaiah, he goes to Rehoboam, they repent, at least God's wrath is pulled back for a moment. Here now we have a prophet going to Jeroboam. The man of God cried out against the altar by a revelation of the Lord. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son will be born in the house of David named Josiah and he will sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who are burning incense on you. Human bones will be burned on you. By the way, this prophecy is actually fulfilled 340 years later when King Josiah at eight years old takes over the throne. This is a prophecy that comes true 340 years later. And Josiah does exactly this. You can read about it. It's in 2 Kings 23, 15. We'll read about it this summer. It's coming. He looks and he says, he gave a sign on that day. He said, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. The altar now will now be ripped apart and the ashes that are on it will be poured out. When the king heard the word that the man of God had cried out against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Arrest him! There's that pride. Can't stand to be challenged. I'm building my kingdom. Don't you challenge me building my kingdom. Things are going well. People followed me from Dan. We're having a good old time here. Don't mess with it. But the hand he stretched out against him withered, and he could not pull it back to himself. The altar was ripped apart, and the ashes poured from the altar according to the sign of the man of God, had given by the word of God. Then the king responded to the man of God, plead for the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me so that my hand may be restored to me. Now me at this point, I'd have been like, ha, no, just saying, that'd have been my attitude. Be like, You deserve it, all the stuff you've done, take that. That's not our God, thank goodness. So the man of God pleaded for the favor of the Lord. Notice what Rehoboam says too, he says, plead for the favor of the Lord your God. Jeroboam has decided not to follow God anymore. It's not my God. See that? Your God. And then he says, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it had been at first. Then the king declared to the man of God, come home with me. Refresh yourself. I'll give you a reward. This is always what happens. It's that manipulation again. Like, we, it's a tit for tat. I'm going to do this, and I get this, and I do this, and I get this. Like that's how every, that's the game, right? So you can kind of manipulate and keep them in your back pocket and you don't want to owe anybody anything. And... But the man of God replied, if I were to give half, if you were to give me half your house, I still wouldn't go with you. And I wouldn't eat bread or drink water in this place. Ouch. You got to remember He's got to travel back to where? Judah, without bread or water. That is a long journey. And then it says, for this is what I was commanded by the word of the Lord. You must not eat bread or drink water or go back the way you came. So the man of God went another way. He did not go back by the way he had come to Bethel. You think, oh, that's great, wonderful. Let's read about the mess. He says, I wrote to you in a letter, this is what Paul says, as it relates to some of these issues. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of the world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But I am now writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. Like, this, that's exactly what this prophet's doing. He gets it. He understands that when you sit down at a meal, you're saying, we're good. We're good, right? Then he goes on and he says, for what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside, but God judges the outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. The church is so busy running around judging the world that we're not even building God's kingdom within our walls anymore. We're not calling people to kingdom living. We're just saying they need to change and point the finger. When our hearts are the ones that are wicked, quit, you point a finger and there's a bunch pointing back at you. Don't take the, try to take the plank out of their eye until you've dealt with, or the speck out of their eye until you've dealt with the plank in your own, Jesus said. So how do we balance that? Well, Jesus says in Matthew, while he was reclining at the table in the house of many tax collectors and sinners, came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Again, These were sinners and tax collectors. These weren't people claiming to be following God. These were people who knew, I'm not following God. Key indicator. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Try to convince someone who's sick, who thinks they're well, that they need to take their medicine. You ever had children? Right, you're sick. You need this. No, no, like, not taking it. This will help you. No, no. Right, you you put it in their mouth and blow in their face like babies. <laughs> they you know, it's like a, you got to take it. I mean, it's just. Jesus is like, look at the well, people who think they're well, they're not looking for me. But people who think they're sick and they know they're in trouble, they're the ones looking for me. So that's who I'm hanging out with. Jeroboam didn't think he was in trouble. Jeroboam had just been healed. The trouble's over. He's inviting this prophet in to manipulate it. And then he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous, but to sinners. And Jeroboam, you still don't admit you're a sinner. You just want me to bless you. How about you deal with your sin? 1 Kings 13, now a certain old prophet was living in Bethel. His son came and told him all the deeds the man of God had done in the day, that day in Bethel. His sons told their father the words he had spoken to the king. Then their father said to them, which way did the prophet go? The man of God. His sons had seen the way taken by the man of God who had come from Judah. Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he got on it. He followed the man of God and found him sitting under an oak tree. He asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he said. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. What's the problem with that? You're not supposed to eat bread. You're, not, you're supposed to go back. Are you the man of God who came? This guy, remember, didn't leave the Northern Kingdom when it was a mess. He chose to stay with his family when everybody else was leaving. Why? Because he's about manipulating the benefits. Right? Playing both sides. That's why he's still in Northern Kingdom. Goes on and says, but he answered, I cannot go back with you, eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a message came to me by the word of the Lord. You must not eat bread or drink water or go back there by the way you came. Listen, there are a lot of people who run around and claim that they have words from God. Let me tell you, if you claim you have a word from God and you go against it, watch out and nobody holds people accountable to that. I don't know how many more catastrophes we have to have and crazy preachers saying they have the answer to Y2K, that the end is coming. They write books. Like you can actually read their books where they made false prophecies. They said God told them things that did not happen and they still have large churches. They're a false prophet by definition. You said you had a word from God and it didn't happen. That's false prophecy. Look at what happens. He says, he said to him, oh, oh, I am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. Oh, now we got a word of the Lord against the word of the Lord. I don't know what to do. Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. The old prophet deceived him. And the man of God went back to it with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. You see, This is crazy to me because this is exactly what happens to us. We get some crazy word in our head or we hear some preacher or whatever else. And it's like all of a sudden we're going down this road. And you know what? Here's the key. This guy had to travel all the way back to Jerusalem hungry and thirsty. It's a long journey. God sent somebody to provide for me. Ah, It must be God's provision. I mean, he's heard my cry of I'm hungry, and now he's sent me a provision. Well, but didn't I tell you you weren't going to eat, and you weren't going to drink, and you had to trust me? Well, yeah, 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 but obviously you've changed your mind. See, that's what we always want to believe that God changes his mind. God doesn't change his mind. He completes his mind. The Old Testament is completed. That's why we have a New Testament, a new covenant. It wasn't like he changed the Old Covenant. He finished it. There's a difference between finishing and changing. Ask ask a teacher about this. Kids always want to change assignments. They always want to change how things work and change the grade after they get it. Right? They don't just want to complete the covenant, complete the syllabus, do what you were asked to do. It's like, well, can't we make a deal? No. (laughs) No deals. (laughs) He goes on and he says, look at what happens. This is crazy. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. This prophet has been wicked. He's made up stuff from God and God still speaks through him. Listen, God can speak through crazy people. You need to be careful what they say because he didn't listen to, he, he listened to the wrong time to the crazy person. He, he shouldn't have listened the first time, but now God speaks to this old prophet. Look what he says. And the prophet cried out to the man of God who would come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. He's sitting there eating and drinking, having a good old time, fellowshipping with this guy, like, oh, God, thank you. I was so hungry. I was so thirsty. Thank you for your provision. Because you rebelled against the command of the Lord and did not keep the command the Lord your God commanded you, but went back and ate bread and drank water in the place that he said to you, Do not eat bread, do not drink water. Your corpse will never reach the grave of your fathers in Judah. Wait, didn't you? But you told me I could do that. Now you're telling me I... That's exactly what false prophets will do. They'll give you false truth, true truth. They'll go back and forth all the time. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they'll speak the truth. But they'll always be using the circumstance. Goes on and says this. So after he had eaten the bread and after he had drunk, the old prophet saddled the donkey for the prophet he had brought back. When he left, a lion attacked him along the way and killed him. His corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey was standing beside it. The lion was standing beside the corpse too. But he wasn't devouring the corpse. He was just standing there. There were men passing by who saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing beside it. And they went and spoke about it in the city where the old prophet lived. You see, we also have something that we have to be careful with when it comes to eating and drinking, and we're going to be doing it next week. It's called communion, the Lord's Supper. Paul wrote this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged but we are, we are judged. We are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. That's why like he disciplines us so that we don't come under condemnation. Not so we like feel guilty, but so we're set free. And that's what communion is. It's coming to the communion table and I'm not, oh yeah, we're all good. It's like, whoa, I need to take a moment. Am I really good with Jesus? Have, have I surrendered my life to him? And if I am, even if I'm a sinner, I can come before him and confess my sin and rejoice in the fact that he's forgiven me and he's given me new life and there's nothing I can do to try to like make a sacrifice better before I come to the communion table I have to evaluate do I really believe in Jesus he goes on when the prophet who had brought him back from his way heard about it he said this is he is the man of God who disobeyed the command of the Lord the Lord has given him to the lion and has mauled and killed him according to the word of God that had spoken to him when the old prophet instructed his sons, saddle the donkey for me. They saddled. He went and found the corpse of the man God thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, mauled by the donkey, uh, corpse or mauled the donkey. Sorry. The old prophet came into the city to mourn and bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own grave, and they mourned over him. Oh, my brother, who else was buried in a borrowed tomb? Jesus. You see, God doesn't do anything. Jesus doesn't do anything to anyone else that he isn't willing to take on himself. It goes on, it says, after he had buried him, he said to his sons, when I die, you must bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones because the word that he cried out by a revelation of the Lord against the altar at Bethel and against all the shrines of the high places in the city of Samaria is certain to happen. This guy has come back to believing in the Lord. Through this guy's death, through this guy's sin, through his destruction, it's changed this guy's heart, and he's now changing his son's hearts and showing him we need the Lord. Don't underestimate what God is doing when things don't make sense. He's building his kingdom. Jesus said, When the hour came, he reclined at the table, the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus asked that prophet not to eat the bread and drink the water. Jesus himself is not eating the bread or drinking the vine. He's waiting till he comes back. See, he doesn't ask anybody to do anything he isn't willing to model himself. Then he says, for I tell you now, I will not drink of it until I come, um, fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the sufferer, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Woe to the man that betrays the Son of Man. Woe to those that are the false prophets and don't follow through. After all this, Jeroboam did not repent of his evil way, but again set up priests for the high places from every class of people. He ordained whoever so desired it, and they became priests of the high places. This was the sin that caused the house of Jeroboam to be wiped out and annihilated. Look at what happens to his house. At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became sick. Jeroboam said to his wife, go disguise yourself so they won't know that you're Jeroboam's wife and go to Shiloh. Ahaja, the prophet is there. He will, it, it was he who told about me becoming king over this people. Take with you 10 loaves of bread, some cakes, a jar of honey and go to him. In other words, buy him off. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. Jeroboam's wife did that. She went to Shiloh and arrived at Ahaja's house. Ahijah could not see. His gaze was fixed due to his age. But the Lord had said to Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming soon to ask you about her son for he's sick. You are to say such and such to her when she arrives. She will be disguised. When Ahijah heard the sound of her feet entering the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why are you disguised? Isn't it interesting when we try to hide from God? You can't hide from God. You can try to build your kingdom and hide it. God always exposes it. Eventually, he's going to show you that was your kingdom, not mine. You're trying, you, you want your will to be done, not my will to be done. And then he says, I have bad news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, I raised you up from among the people, anointed you ruler over my people Israel, tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you were not like my servant David who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart, doing only what is right in my eyes. Again, David sinned, but he always came back to do what was right in God's eyes. Remember that. It wasn't David was perfect and always did the perfect thing. It was David always came back to say, God, you're right. You behaved more wickedly than all who were before you. In order to provoke me, you've proceeded to make for yourselves other gods and cast images, but you have flung me behind your back. Because of all this, I'm about to bring disaster on the house of Rehoboam. I will eliminate all of Jeroboam's males, both slave and free in Israel. I will sweep away the house of Jeroboam as one sweeps away dung until it's gone. Anyone who belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone who dies in the field, the birds of the sky will eat. For the Lord has said it. As for you, get up and go to your house. When your feet have entered the city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He alone, out of Jeroboam's house, will be put in the family tomb. Because out of the house of Jeroboam, the Lord God of Israel found something good only in him. God is taking this child to be with him Because he doesn't want the child to be corrupted. You see that? God is saying, I know if I leave this child with you, it's going to be a disaster. And my grace is on him. And he's going to be the one that will be preserved and it will be known. Who did Jesus bring close and say, if you have faith like a child, you'll be resurrected. This little boy's going to be resurrected to be with Jesus because of his belief in Yahweh, his trust in God. goes on and it says, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will eliminate the house of Jeroboam. It happens, we'll read about it in Kings coming up. This is the day, yes, even today, for the Lord will strike Israel and the people will shake as a reed shakes in water. He will uproot Israel from this good soil that he gave to their ancestors. He will scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they made their Asherah poles, provoking the Lord. He will give up Israel because of Jeroboam's sins that he committed and caused Israel to commit. Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Tirzah, and she was crossing the threshold of the house. The boy died. He was buried and all Israel mourned for him. How would you like to be a wife that had to deliver that message back to your husband? See, everyone loves to bring good news. We all want to bring this great news, but it's hard to bring the truth. It's hard to look at your husband and know you've cursed us. You've destroyed us. First King says, there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam throughout all their Two kingdoms constantly at war when God just wanted them to build his. Jesus said this in Hebrews, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. You can't preserve this kingdom. By it, may we serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He's righteous. He is good. He is just. And he wants us to serve him Not out of trying to get something from him, but because we recognize we've already received everything in grace from him. See that? Receiving grace. We're not afraid of God. We just recognize he's got a consuming fire and I'd prefer not to have to go through it goes on in Revelation, grace and peace to you from the one who was and is and coming from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us, look at this, set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father. The glory and dominion are his forever and ever. See, we don't have to worry about, are we Jeroboam's kingdom or Rehoboam's kingdom? We've got the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We may be stuck in the Southern Kingdom. We may be stuck in the Northern Kingdom. We may be stuck somewhere around the world. We may be stuck here in America. Doesn't matter. You're not my king. This isn't my kingdom. I got someone else I'm representing. So what does that look like for us? Real practically, I'm gonna give you a very practical passage of scripture, then we're done. 1 Peter 2, 1 says this about kingdom building. Peter writes, and he says, so rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Again, like children, newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you've tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him a living stone. See, they built this great temple. They built all these temples and they were nothing. God's like, I want to make stones come alive. Your rock-hard heart, I want to change. Rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. You yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Through Yahweh, who is the Messiah, who saves us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His possession, so that, look at this, why are we all those things? So that we might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the wicked kingdoms and the mess and into his marvelous light that we just sang about. Once you were not a people, you were exiled, you went all over, you didn't really have a king that was right, everybody's messed up. But now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents. That's why the northern kingdom broke away. Jeroboam was supposed to remember they were strangers and it was temporary and God was going to bring them back. And he forgot that and he didn't remember it. Abstain from fleshly desires that were against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in a case where they speak against you, As those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. By the way, the emperor was slaughtering Christians at this time. When Peter says submit to the emperor, he's saying, you need to figure out how to honor a man that seems completely unhonorable. Goes on and says, here's the key. What's God's will for your life? Here it is. For this is God's will, that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slaves, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That's a lot. And that's what Rehoboam and Jeroboam refused to lead his people to do. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom wouldn't do this simple thing. You know what? I'll silence the ignorance of foolish people. I'll just be God's slave. I'll do what God says. I'll live as he says to live because I believe that that's actually true freedom. The true freedom is obeying God. And that's what I'm going to do. And if it costs me, it costs me. But I'm not gonna use my freedom as a way to manipulate God and conceal my evil and say God is with me and all this kind of garbage. I'm gonna get serious about pursuing him because I am a living stone. I'm being built into something. A kingdom is being built and God wants me to be a pebble, a little part, as he told Peter, of that kingdom building. And I'm nothing. As Paul says, I'm nothing, but I trust him. If you have not trusted Jesus as your savior, if you've not said, God, I want to be about your kingdom building and not my own, today's the day you can do it. Today's the day when you can say, I'm done. I'm not going to be like Jeroboam. I'm not going to be like Rehoboam. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I repent. I'm like, oh, I'm in and then I'm out. Nope. Today's the day I surrender. I'm finished. It's your kingdom, not mine. And then you're going to get around some people, hopefully tell someone if you make that decision so that we can help you get the resources you need so you don't slip back into the mess. And for those of us who are believers, let me ask you, whose kingdom are you building? What are the areas of your life that you've told God off limits? This is my kingdom. You can have all this. This is mine. Can I just tell you, if he doesn't have that, you haven't given him any of this either. Surrender it to him. Come like David and say, I've made a mess of this. And he'll say, okay. And he'll forgive you. And it doesn't mean he's going to fix it, but it does mean that he'll begin to build his kingdom through you again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for what you're doing to build your kingdom. In your word, thank you for how you send people out. In a minute, we're going to pray for one of our own that are going to be sent out this summer to make you known. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, you've been building your kingdom since Adam and Eve decided they didn't want your kingdom. And you said, you know what? I'm gonna bring one that will come who will be the king of kings and Lord of lords and he will pay the price that you deserve. And I'm thankful that Jesus, you did that. Lord, these kings that we read about in the Bible, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they refused to lay down their life. They tried to protect their life. They tried to build their kingdoms. When you came, you came as a humble servant. You came and you emptied yourself of all rights. You submitted to every earthly authority to the point of death because you knew there was a resurrection. And you knew who you were. And so Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know who you are, I pray today would be the day they surrender. And for those of us who do, I pray that we would come back to you. And we wouldn't come back to you like Rehoboam just so we could kind of be delivered from the ultimate problems of Shishak. We wouldn't come back to you like Jeroboam just so we could be healed and have our arm restored. But we would truly come back to you because you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we just want to see our life used for something more than ourselves. For your kingdom. Lord, thank you that your kingdom will come and your will be done. Lord, we surrender to you. Amen.